Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie on April 18th during our Sunday evening service. If you have never joined us in person, we would love to see you here. Our services are Sunday at 10.30 a.m., Sunday at 7 p.m., and Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. miscommunication with someone who here has ever had a major miscommunication miscommunication maybe a spouse maybe every day right (laughs) how many times just today right maybe with a spouse maybe a parent child communication maybe a boss or coworker, which can get really tricky Uh, Miscommunications are probably the most common form of misunderstandings. I shared with you a few weeks ago a quote from George Bernard Shaw in his book, Leadership Skills for Managers. He wrote, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We have a lot of miscommunication. It's a challenge to us. And understanding one another Uh, is something that we always have to work on. Now, there are different types of misunderstandings. There are different types of miscommunication. Some involve the lack of key details. I'm not a uh, a detailed enough person sometimes when I'm communicating. I I keep things a little too simple sometimes, and sometimes I miss some important facts. For example, let's say you're meeting up with a friend, and you decide you're going to meet at Chick-fil-A for lunch at 11 o'clock. Well, that's great, but if you don't decide ahead of time and make it very clear which Chick-fil-A you're meeting at. Have you ever had that experience where you were going to meet at a restaurant and you met at the wrong one? Oh, I thought you meant the, I thought you meant the Chick-fil-A over there. I, I thought you meant the one in Cumberland, not, not the one in LaVale. Or I thought you want, when you said LaVale, I thought you meant the mall. I didn't think about the new one. We have uh, many opportunities to miscommunicate, as many times, even sometimes more than we have to communicate. So sometimes we just need more details. That's one way that we miscommunicate. Uh, Another type of miscommunication occurs when we get our words confused. Sometimes it's a slip of the tongue. Sometimes it's a slip of the ear. Sometimes we think we said something, but we actually didn't say what we thought we said. Um, I like to give my sister a hard time about her Marcy-isms. Some of you know my sister. And when she was growing up, uh, sometimes she'd get her words confused, and she would say them with such confidence, but she was saying the wrong thing. There used to be this commercial in the 80s, uh, back when she was very young, and uh, I think it was a Honda motorcycle commercial or something, but uh, uh, Jim McMahon was in it, the football player for the Bears, and uh, he'd say, I'm a man, and I have a man's needs, and this woman would come on, and she'd say, well, I'm a woman, and I have a woman's needs. Well, my sister thought she was saying knees, knees. So she'd go around the house saying, I'm a woman and I have a woman's knees. And uh, as her obnoxious older brother, I, I gave her a hard time about that. One of my favorite Marcyisms uh, was when she asked me a question, I said, uh, Marcy, I don't know, I'm not clairvoyant. She said, who is clairvoyant? Sometimes we just, um, we get our words confused. Um, 
Enough picking on my sister. She's not here to defend herself. It's not as much fun when she's not here to defend herself. Um, but there's another type of misunderstanding that that leads to, and that's the misunderstanding of definitions. When we mean different things by the same words. I've told you several times that the devil is in the dictionary. We use the same word, but we mean different things by them. And so this can be a, a cultural problem. It can be a problem because words change meaning over time. It can be a problem because sometimes people intentionally use words to mean different things. When the Flintstones sang, we'll have a gay old time. Uh, that meant something very different back then than it would mean today, of course. And so idioms, figures of speech, they sometimes suffer in translation. Sometimes it's, it's a change of meaning over time. Sometimes it's just a cultural thing. I had this uh, friend, uh, I worked for him. He was our, well, he was our supervisor when I was in college. His name was Horier. He was from Romania. And uh, one of the guys in my dorm got in trouble for being a peeping Tom. Now, you, I'm sure, know what that means, but as a Romanian, he had no idea what we were talking about. He thought that was a really strange thing to, to call somebody. And then when we explained it to him for a couple of weeks, he was going around going, oh, peeping Tom, peeping Tom. And uh, so here's the point. Here's the point. We need context, right? Communication requires context. It requires that we ask questions for clarification, that we really make sure that we understand one another when we're communicating. Henry Winkler said, assumptions are the termites of relationships. Isn't that a great quote? Assumptions are the termites of relationships. Nowhere is this more critical than we are when we are understanding, trying to understand the scriptures. When we think we know, when we assume that we know what God is saying to us, but we have a completely different dictionary that we're using, or, or we're just making assumptions about what we think God is saying, and we're not really listening, and we're not asking questions of the text. And so tonight we're going to start a new series on prophecy. And as we get into understanding and interpreting Bible prophecy, we're, we're going to really uh, need to ask some critical questions of the text, and we want to make sure that we're not assuming things based on what we may have been taught. That may be true, but if we don't understand why it's true, then we're going to get ourselves into some trouble. It's been my experience that a, a lot of Christians know right things about prophecy, but they don't know why they're the right things. And so someone else comes along with a different interpretation of a text, really a misinterpretation of a text. And because the Christian, even though they might have the right chronology, they might have, you know, they, in Sunday school they saw the chart and they memorized things, but they didn't really understand why we understand the Bible to say what it's saying. Uh, somebody else comes along and, and brings some confusion and, and then they get caught up in this new theory and this new uh, system of belief. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to begin to look at some very basic truths to, so that we get a good, solid foundation together so that we can understand prophecy together. Now, one of our theme verses, we're going to have several theme verses, but the one that I want to start with tonight is 2 Timothy 2.15. This is a verse that we've studied together. In fact, it's been about a year now. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a critical verse for 
Timothy's ministry, it's a critical verse for all of us that we make sure that when we come to the Scriptures, we're not making assumptions, but we are rightly dividing the word of truth. That word study in the Greek literally means to be swift, to make it a priority. Don't wait, Paul says. Do this, start this today. Don't, don't put this on your calendar. Start it today. Make this a priority to do what? To show thyself. The word show there means to stand close to be to, to stand close beside, ready to present, ready to exhibit something. We see even in this verse the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, at any moment, you could be called upon to present yourself before the judgment seat of Christ. It is imminent. And that means the return of Jesus for His church is imminent. It means that nothing has to happen before that, as as we'll see more and more as we go through this study together and why we hold to, uh, as a church, now you may not hold to this, but as a church we hold to the uh, any moment uh, pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ followed by seven years of tribulation starting very shortly after the rapture is actually not what starts the seven years, but uh, it happens right before that. And then there's a thousand-year reign of Christ after the end of that seven-year period, followed by the new heavens and and new earth, which is an eternal state. And we'll study uh, together over the next uh, months together, Lord willing, uh, why we hold that position here as a church. So we are ready to present ourselves. We We make this the priority of our life. I have to, at any moment, be ready to present my life to Jesus Christ. And I want to be approved. I want to be approved. I don't want to hear... Uh, well, I love you, son, but you could have done better. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, The idea here that a workman needeth not be ashamed means that there are some Christians who will be ashamed. There there is a reality that, yes, they're saved, and yes, they're going to spend eternity with Christ, but when they stand before Jesus, they're going to be ashamed because they're going to realize that they really weren't living for Jesus. They were really living for themselves. And so how do I prepare myself for that moment? By rightly dividing the word of truth. And that word rightly dividing, it's actually a tent-making term. It means to cut straight. Paul was a tent maker. And if you've spent the night in a tent, how many of you have spent the night in a tent? All right, almost everybody, great. Uh, not my thing, all right, I've done it, did it in middle school, not my, not my thing, but more power to you, uh, maybe someday, uh, if the Lord tarries, my son will be old enough where he'll, he'll want to do that, and I'll, I'll go hang out with him in a tent, but, uh, as a tent maker, Paul understood the importance of all the pieces fitting together in the correct way, and the last time, Maybe one of the reasons I'm not a big, big on spending the night in a tent is because the last time I spent the night in a tent, it rained. <laughs> and uh, when you're in a little prop tent and it rains, uh, you're going to get some water in if things aren't completely sealed up and all the pieces don't fit together correctly. And how much more in a culture where they don't just go camping in tents, they live in tents. Th- that's their home. And so if you're living in a tent, you want to make sure that every piece is fitting together. You don't want major gaps. You don't want uh, uh, to invite the critters to come crawling into your house. They're going to try to get in anyway. So you want to keep them out as, as best as you can. So you want to cut straight. 
the right way to interpret Scripture. You want to understand rightly dividing, and that means there's a wrong way. There's a a way to cut crooked, and and we don't want to cut the Scriptures that way. So let's boil this down to a mission statement for myself, and I hope that you'll make this your mission statement as well. I must make it my priority to study the Word of God correctly, that I might work for God effectively in order to present myself to God acceptably at the imminent judgment seat of Christ. At any moment, I could be called upon to present myself at the judgment seat of Christ. And so it has to be my priority to study the Word of God correctly that I might work for God effectively in order to present myself to God acceptably at any moment at the imminent judgment seat of Christ. So there's a couple things I want to cover tonight. Tonight is going to be, uh, again, foundational. It's going to be an introduction to the study of prophecy. Uh, We may not get through uh, all of the introduction points tonight, but I'd like to get through at least the first two uh, in in my notes in in your PowerPoint. And I want to start talking about what the Bible is. Before we can really understand the prophecy of the Bible, what does the Bible say about itself? What is the Bible? Now, I know, again, I know that this is very basic for some of us. This is going to be uh, a recap of some things that uh, we've grown up knowing and believing, but uh, we cannot assume that everybody believes these things. Amen. And we can't assume our kids believe these things or our grandkids. And so even if these are things that you go, oh, yeah, I believe that, I'll check that box. Am I communicating this to the next generation? Because these are things that we cannot assume the next generation believes. So we're going to talk for a moment about the content of Scripture. I want to show you five things that the Bible says about itself. Not everybody believes these things, but this is what the Bible claims about itself. Not, not every Christian, not everyone who claims to be a Christian believes these things. But this is what the Bible says about itself. Number one. As we studied last Sunday morning, uh, it's an inspired book. The Bible is God-breathed. It's divine. That means it's authoritative. It comes from God. God spoke into and through the apostles and prophets in recording the Scripture for us. We looked at 2 Timothy 3.16 last week. Uh, Here's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, or 1 Peter chapter 1, you may want to just go ahead and turn there with me for a moment. This is going to be uh, a foundational text for this study. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed, is, is profitable for us. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, talking about the transfiguration of Christ, which we, uh, which we saw on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago. Peter was there, he was one of the three men who witnessed this vision of Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus, who was revealed to them in all of his glory. And Peter says in verse 16, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he says in verse uh, 19, We have a more sure word of prophecy. He says, As amazing as that was to see Jesus transfigured in all his glory, we have something even more powerful and significant. More powerful and significant than eyewitnessing the transfiguration? Yes, because that was for three guys. 
But how do we, all of us, learn about that and grow from that, from their experience? We do it through the living Word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's an inspired book. It's God-breathed. It's authoritative over my life. And that means because it's God-breathed, it's number two, it's an infallible book. It's an infallible book. It is truth. It is conclusive. It is perfect. It is certain. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. We studied Psalm 19 a few weeks ago. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We won't take the time tonight to read all of Psalm 119. Interestingly enough, uh, Psalm 19 is the mini version. It's the Reader's Digest version of Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. And, but here's one verse, Psalm 119, 160. Every verse, by the way, in Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. Here's what verse 160 says, though. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Andy shared with us in his testimony last week uh, about the creation and the three things. I love, I love that. The three things that uh, we see on every day of creation. God said it was so and it was good. God said it was so and it was good. So this is a true infallible book that we are studying tonight. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's eternal. It's an eternal book. That means uh, that it's living. It's applicable. Hebrews 4.12 the Word of God is quick and powerful. It is living and active. It is applicable to your life, to my life. See, it's one thing to say, God spoke to me and, and God put this on my heart. And, and there are times when God has spoken to me. It's another thing to say, uh, I feel the Lord's led me and God wants me to share this with you. There have been times when I've felt that God wanted me to say something to a group of people. In fact, uh, that's what a preacher does, right? I mean, we, we pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to go? Uh, what do you want me to say? Uh, what do you want me to emphasize in this passage of Scripture? But there's a whole nother level to saying. God has not only spoken to me, and God is not only speaking to me through you, but God is speaking through me authoritatively to Everyone at all times in all cultures forever, that's the Word of God. That's the power of God's Word. That, that is the ministry of the apostles and prophets to be the vessel through which God delivered an eternal book. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, little like dotting your I or crossing your T, 
shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. This is an eternal book. It is applicable to everyone, everywhere, at all times. That is a supernatural book. You want to talk about a miracle? You want to, you want to experience a miracle? Every time we open this book, you're experiencing a miracle. You're experiencing the living, powerful Word of God that's applicable to your life. And so we study it every day. We should study it every day. We shouldn't wait till just the preacher opens it up. We should be in this every day. This is a powerful book. But notice also, uh, it's a composite book. It's a composite book. It's harmonized. It has diverse yet consistent content. A collection of 66 books written over a 1,600 plus year period. Various literary genres. Poetry, history, prophecy, which is one of those genres. Somewhere around 40 divinely inspired authors. And so one author, but 40 authors. One book and yet 66 books. Written on different continents. Written by kings and shepherds. Written by prophets and priests. Written by uh, men of all different backgrounds. And yet, because it is a, a divinely inspired infallible book, it is living and the harmony of it. And that's an important thing to remember because when we talk about prophecy, we're using Scripture to confirm Scripture. And one of the things that we're going to do in this series is we're going to say, okay, how did Daniel interpret prophecy? How did Daniel interpret the prophecies of Jeremiah? How did Matthew interpret prophecy? How did the Apostle Paul interpret the book of Isaiah? We're, we're able to see. And so when the gospel writers are quoting one another, when the uh, the prophets and the apostles are, are referencing one another, that's not circular. It's not like I pick up a, a book that some guy read where he's quoting himself. You know, I wrote in this other book, and let me uh, quote a chunk from this other book that I wrote. Well, that, that can be helpful, but it, it's not authoritative. It doesn't prove anything. Quoting yourself doesn't prove anything. But when they're quoting one another, they're giving validity, and we see perfect harmony in the diversity of Scripture. Number five, of course, as we've already said, it's a prophetic book. It's a prophetic book. We're going to have a few key verses uh, in this series. I'm going to repeat them a lot. I'm hoping um, that by repeating them often that you will memorize them or at least memorize the, the idea of the verse without even trying. By the way, repetition is one of the best forms of learning. Repetition is one of the best forms of learning. Repetition is one of the best forms of learning, right? Isn't that how we learn songs? We hear it over and over and over again. And some of you, you think, I can't memorize Scripture. But you know a thousand songs. You got them databased in your... And the moment I, could say one, I can say one line from a song, and all of a sudden it transports you back to when you're a teenager, and you can remember all the words of that song, even if, or most of them, even if you haven't listened to it in 20, 30 years. Isn't that amazing? So we have this incredible resource that God has given us. And uh, so there are a few verses I'm going to be repeating on purpose a lot. And one of those is Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Let me give you some context for this verse. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. So the context here, of course, we, we always have to look at the context. The context here is a message to the nation of Israel, okay? Okay. Verse 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? 
Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath not taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Can one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? What's he saying? What's the point of all this? You trip a trap. Something tripped a trap. Does that mean, is the trap going to trip itself? Is the trumpet going to blow for no reason? No. So here's the point of all this. Verse 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he revealeth his secret to the servants, his prophets, his servants, the prophets. Now, that does not mean that every single moment of every single day, God's going to tell you what's ahead. That, that is not our experience. <laughs> that is not what the scripture is saying. And it's not saying that that's true for everything everywhere. But what it is saying, when it comes to the nation of Israel, major events in the nation of Israel, God says, I'm going to tell you in advance. Major events concerning the nation of Israel. I'm not going to make a major move unless I tell you about it. And so 1948, that was prophesied in Scripture. That, that was something that God said he was going to do, and that's important to know because there's other things that God has said concerning the nation of Israel that he is going to do. As certainly as he brought them back in one day, Isaiah said, God said to, through the prophet Isaiah, in a single day, I will, I will recreate the nation of Israel. And I'm going to use the nations to do it. And that's exactly what happened in 1948. And so that gives us confidence to know that there are other things that God said concerning the nation. So the Bible is futuristic. It is yet to be completely fulfilled. Not all of Scripture is fulfilled yet. We reject this idea of uh, what's called preterism, which means that all or most of the Bible has already been fulfilled. It's just historic prophecy. No, everything God says that he's going to do in major events concerning the nation of Israel are going to be pictured for us in Scripture. So that's the content of Scripture. What about the context of Scripture? Let me give you a few insights into the context of Scripture. Number one, it's an ancient book. It's an ancient book. Now, that should go without saying, but that's an important context that we need to remember because it has historical context. There are things that the Bible says that have a his specific historical context to them, and not only that, but it is a Jewish book. It's a historical book, but it's also an ancient book, but it's also a Jewish book. That means it has a cultural context, and this is a context that's often forgotten. I've said this to you before. I'm going to say it to you again. We saw this last Sunday. All Scripture is God-breathed, and because it's God-breathed, it is profitable for you. All Scripture is for you, Paul says. Not just the things that Paul wrote. All of it is for you, but it's not all about you. And it's not all written directly to you. I, I've never met anybody who read Genesis, the uh, instructions for Noah to build the ark, and thought, uh, maybe I should build an ark. Maybe, that was, maybe I'm supposed to do that as part of my faith walk. Never met anybody who held that. And yet, we talked about this repeatedly in the study of Galatians. How many Christians think that we're still under the law of Moses? You've got to meet on Sabbath, and you've got to do all of these uh, rituals that are, were part of the Jewish covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. It's a 
Jewish book. Now, this context has largely been forgotten or gets assumed, and there are a couple reasons for that. But it is important before we get into those reasons that we do understand this is something the Bible tells us about itself. Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, and that's not where the verse ends. Paul goes on to say, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There are some people who teach a heresy that God has done with the Jewish people. That is a lie. Because God says, the power of God unto salvation, present tense, to the Jew first. If the gospel is no longer to the Jew first, then it is no longer the power of God unto salvation. Paul ties those two things together so that we understand the role that God has for the nation of Israel. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 2, to say, unto them, speaking of the Jews, unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's this. This is a Jewish book written by Jewish men in a Jewish context. And that's going to be very important when it comes to prophecy because Jewish prophecy is different than Greek prophecy. Many, many people get hung up in the book of Revelation and they try to say, well, that was just a Greek apocalypse. No, no, it's a Jewish apocalypse. It's a Jewish thing, and that's very different, as we'll see, Lord willing, in a few weeks. That's very different. But, but why, why has this been forgotten? Why has this been lost? Well, let me give you two reasons quickly why it's been lost. Number one, Jewish apostasy and the loss of original context. See, the apostles are gone. Paul says that the apostles and prophets were the foundation of the church. We are not still laying the foundation of the church. Okay? So uh, we, are, we do not see apostles and prophets today, not in the biblical sense. I know there are many people who say, well, apostleship, that's really church planning or that. Not in the biblical sense. Paul says apostles and prophets were foundational to the church. The apostles are gone. Now, their words are here. Their authority remains in the living word of God. So we're still under the authority of Peter. We're still under the authority of Paul. They don't need to be here because what God has for them to say to us is here. The word of God is here. But they're gone. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And why is that significant? Because all of the temple scrolls were lost, at least for a time. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, some believe that the Isaiah Scroll was one of those scrolls, and there are some uh, other fragments that people believe were part of the Temple Scrolls uh, that were smuggled out before the destruction of the Temple in AD 70. But in fulfillment of prophecy, Daniel 9.26, after the death of the Messiah, the Temple would be destroyed, and that's exactly what happened. That proves that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah had to come and die for the people before AD 70. And in fact, he died on the exact day, uh, as we'll see, Lord willing, in a few weeks, that uh, Daniel prophesied many, many years in advance. And so because of Israel's rejection, they were predominantly hardened. Paul talks about that in in Romans, uh, that uh, he says in Romans chapter 9, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I wish that myself... If I could wish myself were a curse from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, the service to God, the promises, who are the fathers and of whom are concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. Paul says, I, I wish I could 
I wish I could sacrifice my salvation for the salvation of my people. But he goes on to say, God is not done with my people, with, with my people and with the nation of Israel. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are really all about. Yet today, uh, because of their rejection, we see in Revelation chapter, nine, chapter 2, verse 9, that, it, that Israel, the Jewish people, the, those who rejected Messiah, specifically the leadership, became a synagogue of Satan. They preached a satanic gospel. And more, more we'll say about that at a later date. But because of the persecution of the church, the church became very, tragically became very hostile to the Jewish people. And so the Jews say, well, uh, during the Middle Ages, the church persecuted the Jews. And the church says, well, during the first and second century, the Jews persecuted the church. And uh, the end result of all of that is that we have, as the church became more and more Gentile, we became less and less Jewish in our understanding of some of the specifically prophecies of Scripture. And so the early church, quote-unquote, church fathers, uh, as they got farther and farther away from the apostles, and as the hostility between Jew and Gentile became more and more hardened, they began to try to find ways to get rid of the Jewish people in God's plan and to make everything about them. And so let's reinterpret the Bible. And, and uh, Augustine was really instrumental in this shift. Uh, let's change all those prophecies about God's blessings on Israel, and let's make them about us. And all the curses on Israel, well, they're still about Israel. All the bad stuff, that's still about Israel. But the good stuff's for us. And they'll do that even in the same passage of Scripture. They'll take this verse to apply to us and that verse to apply to them. And uh, we're going to... We're going to see some of that in this series, Lord willing. So you had the problem of Jewish apostasy. You also had the problem uh, in the first century of the epistle of 1 John was really written about this. The growth of Gnostic heresies was also a reason. The loss of original meaning. Not only the loss of original context, but a loss of original meaning. Scriptures were quickly twisted and edited. If you're still in uh, 1 Peter... Uh, excuse me, 2 Peter by chance. You may want to jump over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says about the Scriptures. He's talking about the brother, his brother, beloved brother Paul. And in verse 16, he's speaking about Paul's writings. He says, in all his epistles, speaking in them uh, of these things. In other words, Peter says, hey, if you want to understand prophecy, if you want to understand the end times, go to the epistles of Peter, of, of Paul, excuse me. This is what Peter says. Peter says, you want to really understand prophecy, go to the epistles of Paul. Because Paul was the one that God chose to use to reveal these things, many of these things to us. And he's speaking in them of these things, these end times things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Listen, some of the Bible is hard to understand. Even Peter had a hard time understanding it. And Peter had the greatest teacher in the world. Anyone disagree with that? I hope not. Jesus Christ himself taught Peter personally. And the Holy Spirit continued, the Spirit of truth who, who God promised to send, continued to teach Peter through his life. But even Peter said, listen, some of this stuff's hard for me to understand. Now, why was it hard for Peter to understand? Well, some of it's the complexity, but also some of it, it was so out of his context. It was new revelation. Remember, the Jews had an idea. They had an assumption 
that there was one coming of the Messiah. And so all the prophecies they try of, of the coming of Messiah, they tried to squeeze into one coming. And then even after the resurrection, Acts chapter 1, the apostles got together with Jesus, the 11 remaining apostles, and said, hey, is this when you're going to set up your kingdom? Is this, I mean, this is it, right? And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not for you to, to know the times and seasons. Those things were going to be specifically revealed through the apostle Paul before even John wrote the book of Revelation. So it was going to be Paul that God used to reveal the bulk of those things. You have a different mission, Jesus told the disciples. But they had a different context. And so they had to go back to the scriptures and they had to rework some of their theories and some of their charts. You know, the flannel graph board, they had to rework some of that, the whiteboard. And so along with that, notice what Peter also says here. Because the Bible is hard to understand and because these prophecies are hard to understand, they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Peter says, look, you better, you better watch out because people are taking Paul's prophecies and they're twisting them and they're making them mean things they don't really mean. And that shouldn't surprise us, Peter says, because that's what they do with the whole Bible. So, we have to realize that at, at the very beginning, this didn't happen in the 4th century. It didn't start in the 4th century. It didn't start after the uh, uh, apostasy of Rome dominated the uh, Christendom. Uh, it started at the very beginning, even when the apostles were still alive. The twisting of Scripture. Paul warned about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, listen guys, the Spirit expressly says... The Spirit is emphatic about this, that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, not just doctrines they thought up on, on their own, but actually supernaturally influenced heresies. Deuteronomy 4.2, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs 30, verse 6, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. At the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. This is a Jewish book, and there is a great warning given to anyone who would try to edit it. Now, here's the last thing I want to share with you tonight. We'll save the rest of this for, Lord willing, next week. It's an ancient book, it's a Jewish book, but if you really want to understand the Bible, you better understand it's a Jesus book. It's a Jesus book. It's about Him. It has messianic context. This is what we see revealed by Jesus. After His resurrection, Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, uh, He met with two disciples, and then He said to them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that is, the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then when he appeared to the 
disciples in the upper room, he said unto them, verse 46, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at, at Jerusalem. Jesus rebuked the Jews in John chapter 5. He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. But then he went on to say, and yet, you say you believe the Bible, and it's all about me, but you're rejecting me. The Bible is a, a Jesus book. And this is important. This is why we study prophecy. Because Revelation 19 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Why do we study prophecy? Number one, not just so we have assurance of what's coming, but because it's a Jesus book and prophecy is his testimony. Prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, and that's where we're going to pick it up the next time we gather. Jesus is the central character and the main message of the scripture is Jesus, not us. Jesus shows us the heart that God has for us. Jesus shows us the faithfulness of God. And so as we close tonight, I've asked Chuck and Amber to come. We're going to have a time of invitation similar to what we did last week. They're going to uh, sing a song for us. And, and I would just ask you to, just in your heart, think about the fulfillment of prophecy that we see in the death and resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave himself for our sin, who rose again. We can be forgiven of our sin, proving the power of God, proving the authority of Scripture, proving the reality of prophecy. And it's so critical because all the rest of the prophets, prophecies are going to be filled about Jesus as well. And he is coming back for us. And we do have hope and we do have eternal life in him. And we know the prophecies that haven't been fulfilled will be because the prophecies that have been fulfilled have been fulfilled exactly as God promised they would be. And so in just a moment, as Chuck and Amber uh, play and sing for us, if you have a need, the altar will be open. I'll be down front. Uh, Dave's here as well. Um, if you need to pray at the altar, the altar's open. If you need to pray with one of us, we're here for you. But wherever you are, in your seat, let's take some time and let's think about the power of God and the love of God as we see in this incredible book of prophecy. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thankful, for the, thankful God, we're th so thankful for the promises you've already kept and you've already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God, we know prophecy is your testimony. And so, God, as we contemplate this awesome, supernatural, holy book that you've given to us, God, May we have a deeper appreciation not only of your power, but of your great love for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name.
demonstrated in sending your only begotten son. Father, thank you for the hope that we have revealed to us in your word that you are coming back for us again and that we get to spend through Jesus Christ. We get to spend eternity in glory with you in the new heavens and earth with you. God celebrating you and praising you and learning from you and growing for all eternity. We want to give you praise uh, for your glory and for your faithfulness tonight. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you on Wednesday night. You are dismissed. God bless. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.